Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surveillance Support 153. 53? 63. 63. 63. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy how far we're getting. Uh, Q&A. And uh, we're going to have some questions today about uh, SMS and RCS and which one's better. And um, I guess what are the pros and cons to different approaches? Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, someone who wants to get some running tips, uh, what kind of music we like, thoughts and opinions on Pop! OS, uh, Square X, and Bluetooth keyboard security. So big day, but we're going to try to roll through, through these as quickly as possible. And we're going to go ahead and start with the first question from Mr. Camel 999 which is, which of the following do you guys believe to be more private and secure in the context of using S or MMS? We're just going to say SMS for the rest of this to keep it simple. Um, first one is using Google Messages in order to sometimes be able to use encrypted RCS to bypass using SMS while using some for, sort of different client to access it, if you have access to that. And option two is using just a basic FOSS SMS application, such as Fossify SMS Messenger, when that eventually releases. And they can't decide between the two options because more encryption can be great, but also like they don't like having a Google client on their phone and they want something with a little bit more transparency. I'll start on my end. Um, what I'll say is I think the encryption is really important. So I actually, if I were you, okay, if this was me, I would probably actually just have RCS be my only option if I could for SMS, and then I would probably have a voice over IP number for people who didn't use RCS. This is actually what I've done with iMessage, and Nate and I were talking about how RCS via Google Messages is very similar to iMessage. So I don't use SMS through, like, not iMessage, if that makes sense. I only have voice over IP numbers for SMS. So that's another option for you, and that's a way to distinguish between, like, the default SMS client on your phone versus a voice over IP SMS client. So that's kind of a third option that you didn't propose, but that's personally what I would be doing. So I would use Google Messages and have that client. If that's your only option between these two, use Google Messages, but then get a voice over IP client if you can, and then use that for non-RCS messages. And that way you can kind of benefit from both, from, from both worlds, and you can still have something like Signal for people who use Signal. But that's what I would do. Okay, so as always, the first and most important thing is threat model. You know, what's what's your, what are you trying to protect against? Because if you're trying to protect against Google collecting your data, then I would say you should use some sort of, like you mentioned, Fossify whenever that comes out. I would use that because we covered a story in the past how Google basically hashes the messages on Androids. So we covered a story a few months ago. <laughs> Uh, or maybe at this point, maybe a couple of years ago, about how Google like hashes the messages. And so basically, and it's their way of being like, well, we don't see the content. But if they know that this hash appears, like leaves this device at this time, and this hash arrives at this device at this time, it, it's about the metadata. They know who you're talking to. So going back to threat modeling, if you're saying like, I don't want Google collecting data about me, well, first of all, I, I mean, probably shouldn't be using a stock Android. Now, for the record, I don't know if they're going to do that with Fossify as well. I, I genuinely don't know. That could be a question worth asking. Maybe somebody does know. But we know for sure that they're doing it with, like, not to get off topic and go on a rant, but that's one thing that bugs me is when people are like, oh, it's better to use, like, um, like Edge on a Windows computer because Brave might also be collecting data. And it's like, okay, but if I know for sure I open one door and I'm definitely going to get punched in the face, and if I open the other door and there's a 50-50 chance of getting punched in the face, I'm going to pick the other door every time. Like, I don't know, just that logic really bugs the crap out of me. So you can go with Google, who is definitely going to be collecting the data, or you can go with Fossify, who might be, or like Google still might be, but they might also not be. 
Long answer. Um, real quick, I'll keep this one shorter. But then if, you're, if your goal is like, I just want security, I want encryption, then the obvious answer is Google because unfortunately right now RCS is not, um, from what I understand, has not been opened up. So other people can't adapt it. So Google Messages is kind of your only choice there. So yeah, threat modeling. If you're trying to stop Google, I would risk it with a, a, some, another app. But if you're going for security, then I would probably stick with the Google Messaging. Thanks. Yeah, good breakdown. Yeah. yeah. If, Sorry if that it got it interrupted a hundred times. <laughs> Yeah, if it were me, I would do the option I shared, which is, you know, separate SMS, voice over IP, and then using Google right. Messages, and then using Signal. Um, but if it was only those two options that you have, um, I would go with option one. I think I would I would tough out Google Messages for the for the encrypted RCS. But that's assuming that I have a lot of people who have RCS. If I only had like one contact, mm-hmm. then maybe I wouldn't do it. Our next question from, comes from Cracker Barrel Biscuits. And the first one is kind of aimed at Henry. He says, I'm trying to get into powerlifting and I am fairly strong, but I don't do any cardio and I'd like to change that. I want to get into running. But Henry, do you have any tips for beginner runners just starting out? You know, I used to run back in the day. Um, He also says, any programmer guide that you recommend? (laughs) Yeah, that was like 10 Um, years ago when I was a runner. (laughs) Yeah. I also wasn't professional, so. (laughs) I don't have any like specific programmer guide I could suggest um, (laughs) off the top of my head. But um, the one thing I say is like, running 80% of your running should feel comfortable. And if that sounds ridiculous to people listening to this and they're like, every time I run, I'm exhausted, then you're going too fast. Uh, (laughs) So like beginner runners always go way too fast and they're like, this sucks. I don't feel good. I'm breathing hard. I'm like collapsing when I'm done. It like when I'm done with runs, it's not much different than after I walked. I'm not kidding. Like if I do an easy run and I have a heart rate monitor on my walking heart rate for, you know, a 5k will be, you know, like 80 and my heart rate for like an easy run after a 5k will be like 115, 120. Like it's an easy, like it's not hard. Like it's very conversational. It's nose breathing the whole time. And I get, I, I know that that's like a more advanced thing, but you can replicate that. And if that means walking at first, then you have to start with walking. So that's my beginner running tips is that like slow down until it's comfortable, do that consistently, and then let your body adapt because it takes your body months it's it's an it's not an easy entry point sport. People think it is because they can go to a track and run a hundred meters, and then when they can't run a mile easily, they go, oh, "I'm not I'm not a distance runner." But that's a totally flawed. That it's not true because your hundred meters that you're sprinting, you're just finishing it. You're not actually competitive in that. You're not actually running hundred meters fast, most likely. So you're not actually a short distance runner. You just haven't put in the time to be able to do long distance because long distance is like almost all training. You're not born being able to run a mile fast. So. Like, start slow, work up, and just be patient is all I'll say. I'll I'll be honest. So I took up running back when I was in the military um, for a lot of reasons. And I kept it up for quite a while after I left. Uh, I was running uh, five miles a day, um, Monday through Friday. And I liked it. I like running. I do like running. These days, it's just a matter of time. Like, I wake up at 5.30 a.m. to go to work. I have to be out the door by 6.30, uh, sometimes earlier. Uh, And if I'm lucky, I get home by 4 or 5, usually much later. And then I have to shower. I have to eat. Um, You know, I am married, so I should probably acknowledge that my wife exists. Uh, I have to do the new oil stuff. And then on top of it, I would like at least an hour or 30 minutes each night to, you know, focus on me and relax and, you know, watch a TV show or something. And, um, and then on top of that, I'm kind of getting old. So like, I have to get at least seven hours of sleep or else I'm a zombie the next day. 
Uh, I'm not 20 anymore where I can just chug a monster monster and call it good. So, um, yeah, all that to say, the main reason I don't run anymore is just a severe lack of time. But I, I have tried to get back into it. And, yeah, like you said, it's like now that I'm out, it sucks because, like, literally, dude, I kid you not, the last time I tried to run, my legs were fine, but my chest was not. Like, I wasn't having a heart attack. That I'm sure of. But, like, like I could just feel my chest and my lungs and, like, this just the whole area was just like, what are we doing? Why? And my legs were like, no, let's go. We can do this. And my, my chest was just like, no. It's a high... But, entry point sport which people mm. don't know and talk about and it's that's why i don't like when like pe teachers just tell kids go out go and run an all-out mile when they're not actually running to prepare for a mile and then they go that sucked and it's like actually running a mile can be really fun <laughs> yeah like, even if you race it as hard as you can like yeah we're tired but we're still like like watch professionals run like these are people running like the fastest times in the world when they finish they're not on the ground collapsing they're like having a flag up and they're smiling not yeah. because like like they are tired, they're making it look effortless, but also like <laughs> you get used they're to conditioned. it. You just have to be patient. Yeah. Uh, it said, Nate, if you could drink a potion that would instantly allow you to master any musical instrument of your choice, what would it be? Um, that is a really good question. Uh, I'm torn between violin and synth, and uh, the reason I say that is violin is beautiful and sounds amazing once you learn how to play it, but it is by far the hardest instrument I've ever learned how to play. And you pretty much have to, like, suffer through the part where you sound like you're murdering cats for a couple of weeks. Like, it's it's hard. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful I started <laughs> learning violin in, like, fourth grade because then you get all that out <laughs> as a kid. And then, like, now it's great. Like, you don't have to deal with that, like, annoying friction point because you're right. It's, like, the worst instrument <laughs> to, like, learn. Well, the thing is, the thing is the just sound. it makes me self-conscious, especially as an apartment dweller, because, like, I can't just, you know, like, guitar isn't that bad. Or, like, pretty much anything except for drums and violin. It's, like, you can kind of figure it out, and you're not really going to bother your neighbors that much. But, like, violin, like, uh, thankfully at the time, I had somewhere I could go that I had the keys and I was allowed to go into that place. So I would just show up early and practice by myself until the place opened up. And that was my solution. And like I said, like after a couple of weeks, it's like, oh, I can play Amazing Grace and it actually sounds like a song. But yeah, there's there's a good couple of weeks there where, you know, if you're practicing every day, there's a good couple of weeks there where it's like it just sounds like it's it's like every movie you've ever seen where they're showing that the person is bad at it. Like it, it's accurate. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the reason I say synth also is because I really would like to get more into electronic instruments. But synth is extremely overwhelming because there's so much to it. Like, there's so many knobs, and they all do different things, and, like, yeah, it's just, it's a very overwhelming instrument that I would like to be better at. On that note, Alan asks, what kind of music do you both like to listen to? And my my answer is, like, pretty much everything. I'm not a huge fan of pop music, and I'm not a huge fan of country music, but outside of that, I've even found some artists within those genres that I can get behind. I'm an album listener, so I have, like, a lot of albums that I like to go through. I don't like shuffle mode. So normally when I when I'll do something, I just start an album from the top and I slowly work through the album throughout the day. It's kind of like for me watching a movie because a lot of the albums I listen to are like story based albums. And I really like that experience. No, I mean, I'm in a very similar boat. I listen to a wide variety of music. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I generally tend to gravitate towards metal and like rock. Uh, well, for all the metal heads out there, metal core specifically. Um, but I do branch into other subgenres, uh, just generally rock music. That said, I also have found, um, like, I I love Brad Paisley. He's an amazing guitarist, and he's got a great sense of humor. Um, 
I've got some movie soundtracks. I've got some EDM. Uh, I've got some rap. Uh, I do have some pop. To- uh, Owl City is in my top five easily. Um, latest album I was a little disappointed by, but overall, um, yeah, but I, I tend to gravitate towards metal. Uh, the next one comes from the dressing gown. What are your thoughts and opinions, if any, on pop OS, particularly from a privacy point of view, but also general usability? I have more or less moved on from windows and have found the transition mostly trouble free without a steep learning curve. And I use it almost exclusively for gaming. I'm curious what Nate would think about using it for gaming, though. I don't know what kind of games you play. (laughs) I like pop OS. I think, how would I put it? I used to recommend – well, I still do recommend Pop! OS on my website um, for people. It's funny. I recommend it for people who want to learn Linux because since it's an Ubuntu-based distro, that means it's really easy to find a lot of support and you can learn the command line and stuff like that. But it also looks nice, and it it, I think it works well. To be honest, I don't use it a lot, but my wife does. Not a lot, but uh, um, she has a laptop, and that's the OS on her laptop, and she loves it. She's very happy with it. Um, I don't think she's tried any gaming on it because she mostly plays Genshin Impact and they have a history of banning people for using unofficial launchers, which is really crappy. And they don't have a launcher for Linux. Um, but yeah, she she likes it. Um, I don't know. I like it. The main reason I haven't tried it for gaming or myself to get off Windows is because it's not just the gaming. It's also like the video, more so the audio, because I know video, the, the DaVinci works on Fedora and stuff like that. I don't think Pro Tools would work on Linux. If I'm wrong, someone please tell me because I would love to explore that. But Pro Tools, Waves, Slate, um, I don't think those things work on Linux. So that's kind of what's keeping me on Windows. But um, I like Pop! OS. I think it's cool. Okay, before I even ask the question from Private Paul, do you, do you know what Square X is? So I looked it up, and I think I found okay. the right one. I think he he put a typo here. It's where basically they run the browser on their servers, it's one of those services. No, I, I was heard just of recently, one, but I've heard of similar okay. ones. I think a YouTuber put out a service that was a similar like cloud-based browser thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you and I'm in the same boat. I'd, I'd never heard of this specific one before, but I was recently acquainted with the idea. Um, so I guess my short version is I, I like the idea or not necessarily. I like the idea. I'm not opposed to the idea. It sounds interesting. This specific company, I'm not a fan of their claims, but I'm I also tend to be a little harsher on marketing people than most people do. Like this one, like literally the first line, uh, be fearless online. SquareX helps keep you safe, anonymous, and private online. Really? Anonymous? Really? I don't believe you. Um, but yeah, they basically talk about how like you can open attachments and not have to worry about it because it's all, you know, it's all on their servers and it's whatever, and I don't know. It just it, it seems like they're making a lot of really big claims that are very much overblown. Um, I'll, but other than say, that, I, I like the general idea. Yeah, I like the idea too, and I will say the one thing I will add to this is I'm just going to take all their claims at face value. Let's just assume this is like <laughs> it has this amazing use case of being able to try to open like malicious files in a different place that's off of your system. Um, that's not. Uh, I'm looking at that more as a like high security corporate tool than something that like an end user needs to have. I think this is something that like a company that has tons of clients, they're downloading things they want to like prevent phishing. It's not that a personal person, like a personal <clears throat> customer can't benefit from that protection, but it even seems like here, like even on their homepage, it says, yeah, an integrated solution to secure user workflows. And it also they talk talks about a... endpoint security. 
Yeah, that is, was the word. I was going to yeah. say, they mentioned that a few times. Yeah, so I think this is aimed more towards, like, corporate environments, which is totally fine. Um, and you probably can use this for your personal life. But there's also, I recently stumbled on a tool recently that kind of does this, and it's called uh, Danger Zone, I believe. Danger Zone essentially creates, like, a little VM environment via a Docker container on your system. So when you download a file, you throw it into that Docker container, and it's going to scan. It'll allow you to open the file, like a PDF, for example, and it'll... It pretty much takes like a screenshot of the PDF and then gives you a new PDF from that. So that way, any if there's anything malicious in the file, you're not going to be infected on your system. So like there's alternatives to this if you still want the same protection, I would say. Also, they're backed by a venture capital funding company. So, you know. Yeah, it's always weird. I think it's how you know something $6 is... Six million dollars. Like, yeah. I think that's how you know when something is aimed towards a corporate crowd versus a personal crowd because they're up here. They're like, wow, it's, it's literally on the top of their page, right? It's like the top bar. It says, we raised six billion seed from this capital company. Look at us go. And then like, yeah. here we are over here. Like, why, why are you bragging about that? Though? <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> like, it's just funny to see the personality differences, I think. And the last one comes from Riddick. It says, what are your opinions of using wireless keyboards in public spaces? A lot uh... – a lot of them with dongles are not encrypted, and for the encrypted dongle uh, slash Bluetooth keyboards, I have not seen security updates. Um, pretty short and to the point, but uh, yeah. my personal opinion is it's definitely a risk, but I think it's probably a targeted risk. So unless that's part of your threat model, I don't think you really have to worry about it, to be honest. Um, I Feel free to send me some articles if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being naive, but... I mean, what are the odds that the person at the airport or the coffee shop is going to be, like, trying to pick up your keystrokes? What is it? ROI, return on interest? or Return on investment. I think that's what I'm looking for, yeah. They're basically, like, the amount of work they have to put into Opportunity cost is what you're looking for. Cost yes, yeah. that's what I'm looking yeah. for. Thank you. The opportunity cost. Because, like, if, if I were a cyber criminal, I could go down to my local Starbucks and I could start trying to key log people's wireless keyboards, which are really not that common now that I think about it. I don't see them a lot. I might get something. I probably won't. Or I can sit in front of my computer and try to break into Amazon where I'm definitely going to get like 4 million credit card numbers. It just doesn't seem like the, the benefit outweighs the work in my Or opinion. a better comparison is like just trying to hack into the Wi-Fi for the cafe instead of trying to hack. And that's going to give right. you probably very similar data. Well, I sure. guess it's more uh, SSL certs now, so maybe not as much, but still. like. But it would still give me yeah. more opportunity because, like I said, I don't see a lot of wireless keyboards out in the wild, but I see everybody on their MacBook and their phone, and everybody's always on the Wi-Fi because why pay for data? Yeah. Like, right. And also, it's I would probably be much not the more same way to that. hack every Bluetooth keyboard. So you're going to, it, it has to be a pretty much a targeted attack unless it's like, Oh, you found a way to hack into like every magic keyboard. And that's a more common thing to see around. But yeah, uh, someone actually asked this exact question. Um, it's today on our live stream. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh, so did they? live stream and someone asked this exact thing and pretty much like Jonah's take to relay that paraphrasing was essentially like, if you're, if you have an up-to-date Bluetooth keyboard, and especially if you get it from a reputable <laughs> provider that's using best practices, most notably, like, Apple does come to mind because at least Apple's going to not, like, do super insecure stuff with their Bluetooth, um, then you're still probably better off. Obviously, wired is the best way to go. So if this is actually a concern to you, use something wired. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. On, I'm with Nate where, like, I'm not going to be, like, thinking, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I hope that person in the corner of the cafe is... <laughs> getting access to my keystrokes. I don't use a Bluetooth keyboard um, on the go, but 
Me either. Still. Also, that's another thing to mention, too. Uh, they did mention public spaces, but just to relay that, keep in mind where you're using Bluetooth. Using Bluetooth at yeah. home, I think, is a very different risk than using Bluetooth in public. So, I was actually going to say, the only wireless keyboard I use is at work, because sometimes where I'm trying to plug into is, like, on the other side of the room. So that's, like, the only time I, I use that, but... Yeah, and I, like the worst I could see is if somebody figured out how to do not like hack the keyboard itself, but maybe some kind of like tracking, like how you can use um, like Bluetooth on phones to track. Like somebody came into the store and here's where they are, and like I feel like that's the worst I could see is somebody figuring out how to tell like like oh this person has been to like four four coffee shops in the last week or you know something like that. Like I mean to be fair, this Riddick didn't really specify like what they were worried about them attacking but well they did mention they're not encrypted so yeah there's also just better ways though like let's say i wanted to take someone's password at a cafe yeah like, what are the odds they're going to be typing I'd be it in setting at that up a moment. camera behind them mm-hmm. or if i owned the shop i would just use a security camera and you could probably try to see what they're typing <coughs> or i can literally just like sit behind them and watch them type on their laptop before I'm... but even then going back into opportunity costs like what are the odds that you're going to sit behind that person right as they type in their password and like most right. people keep stay logged into their browser nowadays anyways so it's like yeah yeah i don't know i feel like this would have to be really targeted well that's kind of how we think through things though if people are wondering i'll probably try to keep a lot of times we cut just to the answer but maybe i'll leave a little bit more of that one in so people can see how we because this is what we do for our videos a lot <clears> is we think of targeted attacks and we think of the stuff and then we think about like, we just process the kind of situations where this is an issue, where it's not an issue, and then we try to, like, consolidate that for people. But, it, yeah, you all just saw kind of, like, a mental gymnastics of, like, trying to figure out if something's a threat or not. I was going to say, that's honestly, like, not not to get off topic, but, you know, I've seen people ask, like, how do I threat model? That's kind of 99% of how I do it, is, like, how much effort would it be for anyone, like, not just the CIA, but, like, any person who wanted this information from me, how much effort would it be for them to get it? And usually the more I walk through it, the more it's like, I don't think, like, they may try another way to get that information from me, but I don't think they're going to try this way. So. Right. Right. <coughs> yeah. Well, that was it for the Q&A this week. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And again, if you want to ask a question, the way to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash surveillance pod. Uh, we've just been getting so much support there, and that is by far the way that we're able to actually make any kind of money to earn back our time from this podcast. So we really appreciate all the people on Patreon. Um, and if you ask a question, you'll probably be featured next week. So you can already join Patreon right now and ask a question for our next week's Q&A. If you don't like Patreon, totally cool. You can't join the Q&A, but you can still support us. But yeah, we also are on LibrePay, and also we accept Monero tips as well. And all of that's down in the description. Again, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you for the next surveillance report probably this weekend. Ish.